0: Scott, thank you for the kind introduction. Uh, you told my little biography better than I could. I would have forgotten half stuff. Uh, besides the little girl bar, That's that's been the best. She's eight months old, and so uh, it's life changing. Literally, the uh, first time I upheld her, her life changed. So, uh, some of you staff people know about that. Um, I am so glad to be here. I apparently chose the worst weekend to come to Illinois, weather wise. Otherwise, we'll have a blast, we'll have a good time. Uh, I'm excited, though, to spend time together in God's work. That's why Scott asked me to to come here, but that's, I know, the priority that you guys have already as a church, both in your student ministry, but also on Sunday mornings. I know that that is that priority of your your leaders, your pastors, and so we're just gonna get to do that together four times in a very concentrated kind of way, and I'm excited about that. I work with college students normally, and so uh, what's funny is when I think about uh, your age all the way through college, uh, it's a formative time where you are learning more about yourself and about the Lord and about how to love other people. Uh, and I was thinking about it on the way over here. The difference uh, between you guys and the students I work with who are just a couple years older uh, are that it, the difference is that uh, those students. They've learned everything they need to learn. Uh, you guys, hopefully, coming in in this stage of life, know that you have a lot to learn. And so I hope that a weekend like this can be formative for you, it can equip you, it can challenge you, and it can encourage you in how you love the Lord and how you <laughs> love the people around you. Okay? Uh, the theme this weekend is down and out. Down and out. If you've heard that phrase before, You've probably heard it it meant something else. It meant somebody who is out on their luck, someone who doesn't have a job or doesn't have an income or a way of making money. So you thought, okay, student ministry retreat called Down and Out. My parents are going to love this. My parents are going to think that I'm going to go to student ministry retreat and learn all about how to not get a job. (laughs) Uh, But catch that subtitle. God's way to love. God's way to love. We're going to see this weekend that indeed to live a life of love in the church, in this group even, is to live down and out. It's to live in a way that is poor toward yourself and rich toward God and to others. It's to give of yourself. Uh, not to live for your own upward direction, your own betterment, but to live for others and for God. So indeed, we will see that it's to live, in a sense, down and out. Uh, this weekend, I want to challenge you to see the Christian life, your faith, beyond just yourself. Uh, this weekend, I, I want to encourage you as a group in your love for one another, and as a part of Newcastle as a whole, to love uh, those around you in your church community. Uh, And I I would say, as the church's youth, you can even be an example of love toward those in the church, if God would grow you in your love this weekend. And perhaps most importantly, this weekend, I want to challenge you and encourage you in Seeing the incredible love that God has for you in Christ Jesus. It's what we call the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. And so we're going to talk plenty about love, but we're going to talk plenty about the very pinnacle of love. And that is God's love toward each and every one of us in Christ. Uh, We want to begin our study tonight. We're going to be in the book of 1 John. You can turn there if you want to at this point, but we will in just a minute read our passage. But I want to begin by talking a little bit about words. Words can be chameleons. Words can change their meaning depending on their context. They can change what they mean depending on what you mean when you say words. Just think about a few examples people my age just a little older than you, a lot older than you, Uh, say words like, oh, interesting. So I can say, uh, oh, interesting, or, that's interesting. Or you hear Pastor Scott or uh, someone like me saying, oh, cool. We say cool all the time, by the way. Cool, or cool, mean completely different things. Uh, Maybe for you guys, words like, Cap could mean like a cap, or that's cap, uh, or uh, give me give me the tea on that, right? Or yeah, I literally want some 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 black tea, uh, or you know let him cook, right? Or let my company cook, right? Words can mean different things. Now the word love is perhaps the king of chameleon words. And on top of that, the concept of love in general, for that matter, is quite a chameleon in and of itself. You see, love, the word love and the concept of love can mean different things and hold different weight to it depending on the situation or the tone or the subject of said love. You see, considering the significance that love should have to us, It's from our hearts, right? It's what we mean most in this life. For how important it should be, it sure can mean whatever you want. You can love gummy bears. You can love gumballs. Uh, You can love the bulls or the cubs or the bears or Blackhawks or or the Packers. Uh, You can love your girlfriend or your boyfriend you love your mom, I hope you do. Uh, you can love that one show on Netflix or that barbecue place in town. Or you can love when that same frustrating thing happens over and over again in your life. You just love it. Uh, love can mean so many different things. And beyond the shifting meaning of the word itself, uh, our culture has a broadly devi- defined sort of widely accepting uh, perception of love, whether it's through commercialization of Valentine's Day, or or it's Netflix commercials, or it's the shows themselves. We are faced with all sorts of notions of love. And so as Christians, uh, it's our responsibility to figure out what does it mean when the Bible says we need to love God and love others. You see, our culture tells us love is how accepting you are of someone else, how much you're willing to let them believe what they believe while you can still believe what you believe. That love to our culture is how much you are willing to spend on someone else on that special day. That love is this desperation or vulnerability maybe or that one happy place that you have. That's what our culture says. Love has been redefined and reshaped, remolded into conformity to the world and to what we want. Even when we think about the love that we are to have as Christians, we have so often a shallow, sort of emotions-based concept of love. It's centered on our efforts, and it's usually a response to how other people treat us, right? Right? Or how we think they're treating us, how we see their love is for us. If you love me, you show me that you love me, I guess I'll love you back a little bit. But if you don't show me that you love me, I ain't going to give you any. At worst, our love as Christians for one another is is a love that loves to keep a list of all the wrong things that other people do to us. And at best, we love others if they love us first. We know that in some way we're supposed to love like Jesus. It's what Christians are supposed to do, right? Yet when others fail us, <laughs> others don't love us, and it becomes difficult to want to love other people, we struggle to love and we fake it, and, and then we fail to love, and we just sort of repeat the same thing over and over That's why we need John's perspective of love here in the book of 1 John. John is often called the (coughs) apostle of love. He helps us to define and to defend a God-centered concept of love for the Christian. Now, at the point when he was writing the book of 1 John, John was... Uh, The elder at the church in Ephesus and he was uh, like the oldest person you know in your church so think of Newcastle and think of some of the oldest people at this church some of the people that everybody respects and everybody at least listens to the things that they say and the wisdom that they have that was John and John would according to tradition walk into the assembly of God's people, uh, the equivalent of a Sunday morning for us, and he would say simply, little children, love one another. (coughs) Little children, love one another. Little children, love one another. That was the only thing he said. and uh, People would ask him, John, do you have other wisdom, other counsel? Why is it that you always say, little children, love one another? And he would say, that's all that's needed. That's all that's needed. And that's what we need from him tonight as we look at First John 4, a God-centered concept of love for the Christian. You see, in order to cultivate love as Christians, we don't need to just try harder or do better at something. We need a complete recalibration we need to, in a sense, redefine our understanding of love first. We need to rebuild our understanding of this fundamental concept. But we don't need to do that just with our own imagination. We need to do that from God's word. So if you haven't turned to First John, we'll be in chapter 4, and we'll look at uh, six verses here. First John 4, verses 7 through 12, 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12. Look there with me, I'll read. The Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another... God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Pray with me, Father, your spirit is needed here. Every time we look to your word, we need your help. And so we ask, God, that you would illumine our minds and help our hearts to respond to your word. And as we learn to love each other this weekend, would we look to your love. In Christ's name, amen. Tonight, as we redefine love, uh, I want to look quickly at three aspects of Christian love that will help us to love like we ought. We're going to look at the nature of love, and then the empowerment to love or for love, and then the assurance of love. The nature of love first, in verses 7 to 8. You see, Christian love, by its very nature, is... A love unlike the world's love in every regard and it's because christian love is a love that finds its starting point and its ability to be carried out and its end goal not in one's own self but in god in god Uh, See, the world's love is self-determined, it's self-empowered, it's (laughs) self-serving, but genuine Christian love is found in God, and it's carried out in God, and it's centered on God. Verses 7 and 8 again, beloved, let us love one another for. Love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. John's instruction here under all of that logic is super simple. Love one another. Love one another. It's a word love here that means to cherish or to have affection for. There's a little bit of feeling in this. It's to take pleasure in one another. It's in sort of its grammar, in ongoing action. So almost you could translate it, if it wasn't funny English, into be loving one another. Like constantly, ongoingly. Uh, It's affection, and it's also, though, action. It's the word agape. You've heard that word before. It's the word for unconditional love, uh, faithful love. And I think here it's a fitting word for love because John points out that this love is from God. And then in verse 8, that God himself is love. John uses this same logic in 1 John 1, uh, verse 5, in regards to God as light. He says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. What he says there in 1 John 1 is he's saying, God is light, he's the very source and the standard of truth. Uh, he, He defines all things in his purity. Well, here in 1 John 4, John uses the same logic as he says, God is not light, but God is love. And so God is the very source and standard of love. God in his very nature is himself love. He's the very essence of love. Everything he does is a demonstration of love. And so by his character and by his deeds throughout all of history, God is defines love for us. And it's the kind of love that we're looking at tonight, the kind of love that we need in our lives to cultivate for one another. One pastor says this way about God's love. He says, "God's love is more than mere emotion or goodwill. Love is his settled disposition toward us that flows from his being, nature, and divine attributes." My pastor, John MacArthur, he says it this way, love is inherent in all that God is and does. God is love. And the biblical conception of love, if we were trying to redefine our understanding of love as Christians, we must look to God, therefore, if he is the source and standard of love. Psalm 63 says it this way of God's love, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips shall praise you. It's the love of God that is demonstrated in the gospel. A verse you guys all know and probably have memorized. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Friends, if you don't know that love, the love of God demonstrated in Christ, that is something to consider tonight. If your life has not been changed by the love of God given in Christ Jesus on the cross to die for your sins and mine, everything that we've done to offend a holy God, if you do not know that forgiveness and that love, Uh, I'd encourage you to think about that truth and how it can change your life, even tonight. Talk to your small group leader. Talk to Pastor Scott. Talk to me about that. If you do not know the love of God, then come to know the love of God. It is the greatest love you could ever know. Here in 1 John 4, when John says that God is love and the love is from God, This is the concept of love we need to have in mind as we think about our love for one another. That's down and out here, directionally. We have the love of God in Christ that we've experienced uh, if we know the gospel. And it's the very same concept of love that we need to have for one another. Uh, You see, the nature of Christian love is not a love that we come up with on our own. It's not a love that we think about and pray about and say, God, help me to just love harder and better and more. No, it's love that comes first from God. It's not a love that we come up with based on our own kindness. No, it's the same essence, the very same love of God that's given to us in Christ. You see, our love for others is a love that finds its very source in the God who is love, the very God who defines love. And so the love we're to have with one another should be like God's love. It should be a love that initiates like God. It should be a love that forgives like God, that is patient like God's love is. A love that suffers wrong and steadfastly endures. If we have a love that finds its source in God, then I think it's a love that we should pray for. It's a love that we should ask God for growth in. Brothers and sisters, let us love one another with this kind of love, a love that is from God. Now, in First John, this responsibility to love is what John calls a new commandment. In chapter 2, he says that. It's also what Jesus says in John 13. He says, a new commandment I give to you. Now, this commandment to love isn't actually new. If you think about the Old Testament, uh, there's multiple commands to love. Deuteronomy 6, 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and, and so forth. Uh, Leviticus 19:18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So uh, this command to love isn't new at all, but it is new in that it is a new paradigm for love. It's not new in concept, but it's new in scope, and it's new in depth, and it's new in fullness. Why? Because this new commandment to love is patterned after the perfect love of Christ on the cross. This commandment to love is new in that it is a sacrificial love. A love that knows no laws or imitations. It is the standard of Jesus himself. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. It's the kind of love John and the Lord Jesus calls us to. Now, verse 8 points out that the opposite is also true, uh, that those who don't love others with this kind of love, such a person does not know God or might not know God. Now, verse like this may seem a little bit harsh, uh, may seem a little bit like it's drawing too many lines for us, but uh, what it's simply saying here is the kind of person who does Not love like God does, the very source and standard of love, simply may not know love firsthand. You see, if someone has not experienced the love of God, they might not know how to love. And so what John is saying here is this kind of a person who is not born of God and does not know God (coughs) will not be able to love with this kind of love. Friends, if you are a Christian, one who is born of God, one who has indeed experienced the love of God firsthand in your own life, friends, you not only can, but you will begin to love others with the love of God. I went on a missions trip in college and I went to Uganda. It's a country in Africa. Uh, And I thought going into that trip that uh, it would be the beginning of uh, maybe exploring what missions would look like for me. I thought studying global studies in college. I have a heart for the Lord and a heart for the nations and yeah, I think maybe after this, I'll probably want to be a missionary. And little did I know how much I would see the missionary at the time who was in that country, in Uganda, how much he loved the Lord and loved other people. I saw this missionary provide food for hundreds of people. I saw him give the shirt off his back to someone who needed it more than him. And perhaps the biggest demonstration of love I saw on that trip was that he picked someone up off the side of the road that he thought that he recognized as he drove by them. And he was right. He knew that person uh, who later ended up being someone who uh, he would adopt their son that they couldn't take care of anymore. I saw so many demonstrations of love by this missionary. And I asked that missionary, uh, how is it, that you can have this kind of love for other people. And he said to me, Matt, when you learn to love people as a Christian, you'll begin to see that the world loves until it starts to hurt. But Jesus loved until he died. And so how could we not as Christians love one another with a love that's sacrificial and endless and patterned after the very love of God for us. God himself who is love. And so if we are born of God, we will love like God does. That's the nature of love. Now, secondly, in this passage, let's look at the empowerment for love. The empowerment for love. Here, we see how it is we are able to love like this you see i've set already a really high standard for our love we are supposed to love like jesus we are supposed to love with the love of god who loved us first how is this possible we now though understand we are to love with a love that is not like the world's we're to love with a love that is from god and like christ and this may seem near impossible Uh, how is this all possible look at verse 9 in this the love of god was made manifest among us that god sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him here we see sort of the overarching logic of first john is in First John 1, 1 through 4, John essentially says, this is the Son of God, Jesus, made manifest. And he talks about how uh, Jesus was God made manifest. Uh, he says, that which we have seen, that's what, that which we have heard, that which we have touched with our own hands. And he says, this is Jesus, this is God. Now here in chapter 4, he's saying, this is the love of God. Manifest, not the Son of God, but the love of God, manifest. And yet the answer is the same. He says it's Jesus. So, so Jesus is how we know the love of God. Jesus is God's love made manifest. I think when we read this verse very quickly, we tend to think of or see an example of love. We see that. Jesus loved us, and so that must just be an example. And it is an example. Jesus said in John 13, and before he even went to the cross, he said this: He said, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, now Jesus certainly is the ultimate example of love. Amen and amen. But here in 1 John 4, God's love for us in Christ is so much more than just a good example. God's love for us in Christ is also here the empowerment for our love. You see, God, who is love, gave us the the love he had in sending His son Jesus. And it is by that love that John says here we are enabled to love. And it's captured all in this little phrase at the end of this verse 9. This phrase, so that we might live through him. So that we might live through him. I want you to think a little bit about uh, when you were born. Or if you have a little sibling, when your little sibling is born. How much of being born, you or your little sibling, how much of that did you have to do with it? Like, did you, did you push yourself out of your mom? Did you put yourselves together to become a human being? How much of being born did you have to do with it? <coughs> Nothing nothing and that's what John is saying he's saying through the love of God in Christ we became alive so that we might live through him he says and so our love for others isn't just a mere imitation of a good example that Jesus had for us by our efforts our love is empowered by the very life that we have in Jesus Having been given new life in Christ, we are empowered with this new capacity to love one another. And so as He loves, we also love. And that's why we need to redefine our understanding of love because we're so used to doing it our own way. We're so used to trying to apply some worldly sense of love. But we're trying to make our way through this life by just getting along with others and loving them and just creating good vibes. We're trying to sort of psych ourselves out mentally and get past the difficulties we have with other people in our love. But if we try all those things, we won't be able to love like God calls us to with any measure of quality and faithfulness. We need to see here that it is God who gives us the power to love and that power is in the life that we have in Christ we too often try to love other people in sort of a performative or self-styled or self dependent kind of way and we try to do that to say that we want to be more like Jesus but all we need to do is realize that the very life that we have in Christ is the power to love one another. I wonder if you've been stuck uh, in your in your in a car recently, maybe your parents' car and you've had to jump out and push the car up the driveway or down the street to the side of the road, whatever it is. We've all been in that kind of situation, hopefully not in weather like this. Where you get out of the car and your dad's at the steering wheel and you and your, your rest of your family help helping push the car. Right? (laughs) So many times when we love, we have a fully functional, nothing's wrong with the car kind of car in our love. And we have the key to that engine in our pockets. We have the key to the car in our pockets. And yet we are trying to push a car on our own efforts if we would just realize that we have the very key to loving others in our pocket, and that is the love of God and Christ, that are power to love. And so what we need to do uh, this weekend is to get that key out of our pockets and put it in the ignition and realize the love of God and Christ for us come down that will then help us to love the out. Look at the beauty of what John says here in verse 10. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's a gospel verse. It's the kind and gracious initiative of God and his love for us. I love a simple statement like this to just obliterate any notion of human pride in knowing God and his love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Newcastle students, do you get that? Do you understand the grace of God in that? Or do you hear a phrase like that and you're past that? You're past being thankful that in love God sent his son for you. First tells us that God sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's a big theological word, but it kind of just means sacrifice or satisfaction of God's wrath against sin. You see, all the bad things we do that offend a holy God, or the things that we fail to obey God in that we should do but we don't, all of those things, all of those sins... God rightfully, justly, fairly has wrath against us because of our sins. And yet Jesus, with his death on the cross, after living a perfect life, was a sacrifice, a propitiation, a satisfactory present or satisfactory sacrifice for that wrath, such that we no longer have to have that wrath upon us. Ephesians 2 says that you and I, every one of us, were literally children of wrath. That's what that verse calls us. That we were those who deserved judgment. We, we deserved punishment in hell because we're sinners, both by nature and by our choices, and we sin against a holy God. But Ephesians 2 says, But God be rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. That's the love come down. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And so that's what 1 John 4 is talking about. That God made us alive together with Christ. And so we can now be alive in Christ, but now alive to love one another. If God has graciously loved us by sending us his own son to pay the penalty for sin, how could we not, as all equally undeserving recipients of that love, how could we not also love one another? And that's what this weekend is is all about, learning how to love one another because God has loved us. Uh, Finally, I want to just look at one last thing in this passage, and it's the assurance found in Christian love. Uh, In this last verse, verse 12, uh, we see the assurance that this kind of love produces in us if we're committed to living it out. Look at verse 12, that no one has ever seen God, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Uh, John begins this verse stating, no one has ever seen God, and it's logic that he uses several times in the book of First John. Well, here John is saying, that if we indeed love uh, this kind of love and live out this kind of love that is visible or tangible, where well, we see acts of love between us and other people, In in our love for one another, if there's a visible aspect to it, then that which we cannot see, that which is merely spiritual, is true and we can be sure of it. That is to say, if we have a love for one another that is evident, that is knowable, that we can see, then we can be sure, even though we can't see it, we can be sure that God abides in us. If we love one another with a tangible, seeable, knowable kind of love, we can be sure that his love is perfected in us. If we love one another, it is evidence that the God who is love is indeed in us. That we are surely born of God and that indeed we are children of God. If we love one another with a tangible kind of love, it's evidence that the work of God's love is happening in our lives. That we are not only enabled to love, but that we are growing and being perfected in that love. Uh, we can know that God is working in our hearts to complete all of that which he began. That's what I love to call the sweet Assurance found in Christian love. It's John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, our love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, for those who do know Jesus, our love for one another is assurance, it's evidence, it's encouragement that indeed. We know Jesus. Our love for one another, in a sense, is a receipt for God's redemptive purchase and for his glorious work in our hearts as we learn to love ever more like him. And so I'm excited this weekend to study with you guys about this love of God. I want to close by telling you about someone that I think you all you all know you should know from the internet or from school or something. But I want to tell you a little about a little bit about Albert Einstein. Guys know Albert Einstein, right? If not, for a funny thing you can call somebody when they think they're being smart, right? Einstein, Albert Einstein. He had in his lifetime two wives one at a time. The first wife, her name was Miliva March, and uh, there was a period in their marriage later on when the main form of communication between the two of them, as they lived in different cities at that point, uh, from 1897 to 1903, was uh, by letters. They communicated simply via snail mail. Uh, I bet if they had text messaging back then, they probably would have used that. Uh, but these letters that Einstein and his first wife, Mill of a march, wrote were discovered n- not until 1987, 80-something years after they were originally written. And one of the most fascinating parts of these letters was uh, Einstein's list of what he called conditions for his wife in how she were to help him and how she were to conduct herself and manage the household when they were in the same city. just want to read some of these for you, for you to get a taste of Einstein, the smartest man to have ever lived. He says this, and these are his words, not mine. Ed, you will make sure that My clothes and laundry are kept in good order. Two, that I will receive my three meals regularly in my room. Three, that my bedroom and study are kept neat, and especially that my desk is left for my use only. B, you will renounce all personal relations with me insofar as they are not completely necessary for social reasons, specifically you will forego one, my sitting at home with you, or two, my going out or traveling with you. C, you will obey the following points in your relations with me. One, you will not expect anything from me, nor will you reproach me in any way. Two, you will stop talking to me if I request it. Three, you will leave my bedroom or study immediately without protest if I request it. D and one we'll with this one: "You will undertake not to belittle me in front of our children, either through words or behavior." <coughs> wow. Albert Einstein, perhaps the most intelligent person in the history of the world, and he didn't know a thing about. Love. I don't know that any of you would dream of having a list of demands for your significant other, your siblings, hopefully not your parents or even your closest friends. But the world tells us. Young person, up, up, up. Better yourself. Educate yourself. Make something of yourself. Build a career. Build a name for yourself. Up, up, up. Go upward, young man. Go upward, young woman. Do something with your life. Make something for yourself. Your net worth, up. Social media, make something of yourself. Get a check mark. This weekend, and what I hope you've seen with me here in First John, is that we need to think down and out. Not up, not even the smartest person in the world, but down and out. Because down and out is the love of God in Christ Come down, and then love going out amongst God's people. So that's all our hope this weekend as we look to God's word for help and how to live down and out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these students. Thank you for uh, your word and all that it has for us. Uh, we are so grateful for the love of God in Christ uh, that it is... Not just an example for us, but the very power by which we love. And so, Father, as we look this weekend at this kind of love, help us not just to learn, but begin to put it into practice as we uh, play games and talk to one another and encourage one another. Father, would this weekend be uh, like jet fuel for our love for one another? And would it help us to, as a ministry, grow in our love for you? And for each other and for others in our church and in our community. Uh, Father, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. One of the verses we just read, verse 11, said, God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So the question being, does God so love? started of leaning back on my